welcome to Retirement Diaries, a new podcast and YouTube series where I talk to people living and learning in their own epic retirement journeys. It's real, it's raw, and it's personal. I'm Beck Wilson, the author of How to Have an Epic Retirement, and I'm passionate about helping people prepare for the 30-year-plus epic retirement they have ahead of them. You can sign up for my regular newsletter at epicretirement.net. I simply want you to learn how to have an epic retirement and not just from me, but from the millions of other people living their epic retirement right now. Hello, I'm Beck Wilson. And today we're talking to Brian Crisp about what it's like to live out one of your biggest retirement dreams of packing up and moving across the world to Scotland. What an amazing experience that would be. Uh, he and his wife moved over there in 2019. Did I get that right? 2017, wasn't it? No, 2019's right. 2019. Uh, and they learned an awful lot of lessons along the way. Now, I worked with Brian a few years ago, and I have to say he has an impressive attitude to prioritizing the things he really loves doing. But before we get started, I want you to learn a little bit more about Brian. Brian is a coal miner's son who grew up in the south of Wollongong. His first job was as a ticket collector on a railway station in the year nine school holidays. He started working as a journalist with the Illawarra Mercury when he was 17 and he worked for Fairfax, who owned the Mercury for a decade before moving to the sunshine in Queensland in 1993 to join News Corp, where he stayed for 30 years in various roles from Sydney, Perth and Queensland again. Was that right? That's right. They They keep moving you around. They moved you around. You, you must have been important in the organisation. He was a national travel editor for five years in there and he started a business within the organisation that grew really big in branded storytelling. So Brian knows how to tell a story today, folks. I, I think you're going to enjoy this. Um, but in 2019, as I said, Brian decided to pack it all up and move to Scotland, just outside Aberdeen, almost into the Scottish Highlands. It was his first shot at retirement and we're going to talk to him about that. And again, before we do... We're going to first talk about and have a little bit of fun with Brian because he has three daughters, five grandchildren and is retired fully but not quite because he loves to keep his finger in his work. Tell us a little about what you do, Brian, with your retired but not retired life. Well, it, it's it's kind of that mixture. that I, I find it a great compliment when someone you might have worked with for many years will ring you up and ask you to do something for them again. So I still write for people whenever they, you know, journalism is about writing, it's about storytelling. So if someone needs something written, I'll jump in and do that for them. Um, if they need advice on, you know, how to create a social media campaign, I can talk to them about that. But I also, um, you know, play in a band. So I play with a, a mate of mine, Greg Borden. We've been playing together for a decade now as a duo around the Gold Coast in Brisbane. Uh, in pubs and clubs. So we probably play two or three times a week. Um, we That's play exactly, cool. yeah, we play exactly the kind of stuff that you would think two 60 year old blokes sitting on a stool would play. And people seem to like it. So tell me when you're playing and I will come and watch. Oh, no, you're welcome anytime. But it, it, it's just really good fun to actually sit there and, and engage with an audience, have a chat be able to have a beer while you sing a few songs. And I love the fact that, you know, the 18 and 20-year-old waiters know the words of every Creedence Clearwater song. You know, they, 
and you say, how do you know that song? And they go, oh, my dad plays that at home. So My poor children know them too. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think that's really, really good fun. And the other thing, my, my three daughters live still on the south coast of New South Wales, so we go down there and, and they have an ever-growing family. So five grandchildren now from eight to um, Freddie just turned 12 months old the other day. So it, it's it's a great mixture of a balance of being able to do what I want to do when I want to do it without having to get up at six o'clock in the morning and go to work anymore. Yeah, nice. Do you fit the golf in early in the day or, or later in the day? Yeah, we usually play at seven in the morning. So I play with the same three blokes every week, a um, couple of 70-year-olds and another guy who's about my age, which is 62, 63. Um, they're all from uh, Penrith way. So I get to tease them about the football when Penrith lose. They tease me when South Sydney loses. And it's it's just, I, th- I think part of the secret of retirement is finding your tribe and your tribe is people that you can sit down and talk shit with and just, you know, come out of it feeling good, you know, feeling that you belong. And I think, I think that's one of the secrets. You, you've got, you've got to, you've got to find your people outside. And these are people I didn't work with. These are people I met afterwards. Um, yeah. But we share a lot of the same, same interests. So that's good. Oh, wow. I, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. And, and so now let's give the people what they came for. The big trip to Scotland, mate. The, the journey of a lifetime. We all, oh, I don't know about everybody else, but I dream and my, I know my husband carries pictures on his phone of Scottish Highlands houses and the, the bushwalks and the rambling and the beautiful pictures of the cold countryside. And, and I think we all have this vision of what it's like to pack up when your kids are older and say, stuff it, I'm going to go see the world again, like a young person, but not. Yeah, well, for me, when I was getting close to retirement, I I worked for 40 years, and I figure if I'm anything like my dad and mum, they both died when they were 80, so I figure 40 is a 50-50 split, you know, 50% 50 for me, 50% working. So I was 57 at the time, um, and was our financial advisor, like everybody said, you know, you know, you don't have to work, you have enough money to live. Now, we're not wealthy, but he said, you know, you you probably won't spend that in your lifetime. So it was just like, okay, then, well, if I don't have to work, then I'm not going to work. You know, why? why I love work. Don't get me wrong. I loved it. But if I, if you don't have to go to work 12 hours a day, then, you know, you've got to question why would you? So, and then I thought about it and, and the big thing for me was I, I used to leave home at 6.30 and I'd get home at 6.30 or 7 o'clock. So it was a very large chunk of five days a week. And I thought, if I'm not going to do that, what am I going to do? Oh, the biggest and, question I ask everyone to ask themselves. Yeah, and I, I, for me it was like I've travelled the world when I did escape, so I've been to 70-odd countries, so I'd seen a lot, but I'd never lived anywhere other than Australia. Um, and I thought, I want to live somewhere else. And my, my wife is Scottish. Um, she was brought up in um, South Africa, moved to Australia, lived in the Netherlands, came back to Australia. Um, so she'd had that experience of living elsewhere that I'd never had. And because she was so used to that moving and, and not being rooted anywhere in particular in one place, she said, when I said to her, look, I'd like to go and live in Scotland. 
she said, I'd love to go back. And the plan was we'd go back for four or five years, maybe forever. We spoke to the girls and said, we'll get a house that you can come to. You can come to for a month at a time or two months at a time or three months at a time. It doesn't matter. It, it will be your home, but it won't be in Queensland. It'll be in Scotland. And then we just, you know, we actually picked the place called Peebles first. We watched Escape to the Country. And there was this little town called Peebles that we fell in love with, but we couldn't find a house in Peebles to rent for love nor money. So we ended up above Aberdeen, just under the Scottish Highlands. And it was, it was a fantastic, we had a house that was a four bedroom house in the middle of a golf course. So it was the old, um, greenkeeper's sheds that had been done up to a house. So there was nothing around us, no houses. And then the golf course was in the middle of a forest. So it was just us. You're so living we, my dream. Yeah. So we were just sitting there. And as you said, that rolling countryside, that purple heather all over the, all over the mountains that you can see, you know, that was what we woke up to every day. And, and, you know, I, I loved it. It was fantastic. So did the novelty wear off? Was it cold and miserable and, and grey and sad? Or was it, was it everything you dreamed of? Oh, look, it was everything I dreamed of. Um, it's cold. Don't get me wrong. I barbecued in thick gloves. I was about the only person in Scotland who's continued to barbecue, and I'd go outside with these big thick gloves on and turn steaks and stuff like that. So, and I, and I think, I think it, in summer the first year, I, I said to my wife, it was about sixteen or seventeen degrees. And I said, "Is it going to get hot at any stage?" And she said, "No." So, so I think we had one day of twenty-four degrees in the whole time we were there, but. Um, you know, in winter, it's doesn't, the sun doesn't come up till 9, 9.30, and it's down again at 3, 3.30. So that's a bit bleak, but the television's really good and you've got an open fire. And But in summer, um, we were playing golf at 10 o'clock at night. You know, yeah. you can wander around. It's just beautiful. Um, it, it's not quite daylight. It's not dark. You can see. But, you know, it, it's just... Um, it's it's just the difference, and for me, you know, so uh, being able to go into a pub that was built in the 1700s and and it's still there and it's still standing is kind of the history that we don't have. And you know, I, I'd taken my guitar and all my gear, so I, I played gigs in pubs around Scotland and stuff like that. And you know, you sit there next to a roaring fireplace with a guitar and an amplifier, singing songs to people. And, you know, I was very cheeky at times because I'd go, is there anyone here from Australia? And they'd go, no. And I'd go, well, here's a song I wrote and play something by Paul Kelly. Um, <laughs> and just like, This is a story about a husband and wife who split up and then they get back together for the kids a couple of years. Like, it's called oh. To Her Door. Uh, um, but no, and then eventually I'd tell them it wasn't my song. But, uh, you know, it was, it was just, um, it was a dream. Yeah. Uh, look, so so the journey of, of preparing, you know, you obviously had the idea that you wanted to move to Scotland. For, for a lot of people listening, they've got an idea, but they don't know how to bring it to life, right? And, and that's a, a strategic but also very tactical approach to putting inside the machinations of change, right? Um, how did you go about that process? I, I think there's a, a very big to-do list that you, you have to you have to organise. It, it even to the simple things like um, getting a credit card, you know, that you can use. You can't, you know, once, once you retire and there's no income, 
it's really difficult to get a new credit card. So, you know, before I retired, I had to get credit cards that I could use in the UK. Um, so, you know, you had to go to a bank that had branches in the UK, look yeah. for an international bank rather than a, a domestic Australia bank. You know, I had to work out, you know, from a visa point of view, what visa I needed, even though my wife was um, Scottish, I just couldn't go there and live. I had to get a visa uh, to become a resident. Um, you know, that cost me almost $5,000. Wow. So there's a long list of things that you need to do. You need to make decisions about what you're going to do with your house here. We we sold our house. Um you know, and, and in our decision-making process, we had Alison's mum and dad because they also lived in Hope Island near us and they were in their 80s and they're broad Scots, so most people can't understand a word they say. But um, so we, Ali said that she wouldn't go without them, so we took them with us. So they came and lived with us um, because, wow. you know, Ali said to me, why don't, you know, I know this doesn't sound great. She said, why don't we wait till they're not here anymore? And I said, they could be here for another 10 years. And then we're too old to do it. So I said, let's go and take them. So the house we got was big enough for all of us. Um, and off we went. And as a, as a blended family, um, and, and that, that was how we tackled it. So I think you need to create a list and go through all the possibilities that might be there and then work out you know what how to do them in in a particular order because it, it all takes a hell of a lot of planning yeah and obviously a lot of talking and a lot of agreeing and a lot of you know navigating things that you don't agree on yeah and i, I think you know it's not going to be for, for everyone it, i was lucky in that allison was you know of the nature that she just said yeah I, i'd love to go back you know because she's you know, Scots, Scots are, are very loyal to their to their home. You know, you know they they are really passionate about being Scottish, and it, it you go there and and you get a sense of that. You know, like I, I played golf on the golf course that we lived around, and we had a, a golf course owned by Donald Trump, uh, not that far from us. And one morning, I was sitting with these three Aberdonians, and I said, "What's the Donald Trump golf course look like?" And they just looked away and didn't say a word to me. And I said, sorry, have I said something wrong? And they said, we don't mention his name here. I said, yeah, but his mum's Scottish. He's one of you. And that was the worst thing I could have said in my life. <laughs> they just completely disowned the man. <laughs> oh, they completely disowned him. But, it, you know, they're passionate about their country. Hence all the debate about them becoming independent and, um, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, they love Australians because, like Scots, we don't like the English. So, you know, they, they, I, got on, I got accepted pretty well. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. I mean, uh, it, it, op it opens a whole nother can of worms that you went with your in-laws overseas, right? I, I deeply respect that. I, I think it would be a huge consideration for me. My dad and I are really close and, you know, th those types of things do put off your travels sometimes, being the middle generation or the sandwich generation. Um, so I'm, I'm super impressed at that. Did it work? Um, look, it, it, it did work. Yes. But unfortunately, Ali's dad, um, got, uh, dementia really badly. As soon as, oh, as soon as we got there, he ended up in a home and he, 
he passed away, um, and you know, uh, you, but you know, you, that's going to happen whether yeah, yeah that's going to happen whether you're time. yeah whether you're on the Gold Coast or whether you're in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Uh, he actually managed. Um, it's a perfect end to his life story. He managed to die in the town he was born in. You know, so he had that. You know, he was still looking at the same. You know, sky that he'd looked at his in his younger years and stuff like that. So that was sad, but it, it's 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 a part of life. And now, even since we've come back to Australia, now Ali's mum still lives with us. So we have a house on the Gold Coast where we're upstairs, she's downstairs, and um, yeah, it, she she's our baby now. And there's there's a lot to be said for multi generational families. That I think we we don't talk about them enough. Because people don't talk as much about the older stages of life, I'm hoping we get to talk about the realities more. Oh, yeah, and in and the reality of it is, is you know, the Italians have done it for centuries. You know, the the Chinese, the you know, the Thai people do it all the Japanese, time. It, yeah, yeah, it's just something that you know, I, I, for whatever reason, we've never been good at here. And and you know, I, I said to Ali the other day, I said, you know, it's almost. Eight percent now that I've lived with your mum. Pretty soon it'll be more that I've lived with your mum than my mum. Yeah, you know? so <laughs> yeah, so you know, it, it, it's it's something that uh, everybody has to be aware that you know everybody has feelings and you, and you have to live with those feelings and work around yeah. those. So so you left a pretty big corporate job, right? And and a, you know by the end, and Brian was running um, a big very successful commercial division of News Corp um, and left at his peak (laughs) because I know because I watched on from the side, the process of leaving your job, how did you make the decision? How did you feel? You know, what what was the anxiety like inside as you were making these big steps to change up your life? I think think I was always aware that your job doesn't define who you are. You know, and if your job defines who you are, then I think you've got things around the wrong way. Um, so, yeah, I once heard a story about a guy who moved to Canberra for a job, was forced to go to Canberra, hated going you know, in journalism, hated going there, then loved being part of the Canberra media circus so much that he decided to stay there when he retired. But once he retired, no one called him anymore. Yeah. And it yeah it really cut away with him. So I, I've always been of the opinion that I might have been an editor for News Corp or run a business for News Corp, but everything that happened was because I was in that position, not because of me. So I had to learn to be me. And I you know I'm I'm from a pretty um, you know football loving country family. You know, dad grew up you know, moving cows around and stuff like that, there's not a lot of airs and graces. So I, I didn't need to be a part of anything other than, you know, my family and my extended family. And if you can find some good mates, you can make it work. So I loved work. It was fantastic, but it didn't, it was no more than work. It didn't define me. That is such a cool attitude. I, I yeah, totally envious. <laughs> <laughs> Am I allowed to say that legally? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm still in that middle stage of life where you know, yeah, you're still, still young. Does, does define yeah. you. <laughs> yeah, you're still anyway, young. I'm you're... coming through. I'm in the second half now. Yeah, I, I know. You're, 
it, it's it's interesting that concept because when my wife turned forty five, she said to me, "I said to her, you're middle aged now." And she said, "No, I'm not. I'm still young." I said, "Well, how old do you think you're going to be?" Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think it, the transition process is is different for everyone, and I I think, you know, I I could have stayed at work probably, you know, who knows for as long as I wanted to, but oh yes, you I, could have. They would have kept you around making money. But I'm having a great time. You know, yeah. Yeah, I'm having a fantastic time. Yeah, no, look, and and I think that's important for everybody to recognise is that there's a time for you, and and you know that that's the time where you get to choose. And if your financial planner says you can, um, then it's actually just a choice, you know. And and people living in that choice, I think that's what retirement really is. That when you finally realise you're not working for the money. Yeah, and I think I don't think retirement these days is. I will retire and I'll never work again. Mm. You know, like you can retire from what you were doing and then still do stuff, you know, as people need it done, you know, no matter what it is. Like if you if you notice this beard, I, I'm thinking of signing up for Santa this Christmas because you can get six weeks work like that, you know. So you just go and do stuff. And he's not might... joking, folks. He really has been asked to be Santa <laughs> this year by somebody. So, yeah. But if you do that for six or seven weeks, that pays for your next holiday. So, yeah. it and it's not it's not hard to juggle. You know, the beauty for me is I don't have to get up at a certain time, and I don't have to. You know, if I don't feel like writing something today, I can write it tomorrow, or I can do it. You know, another time. So I think it's more about making decisions for you. I love it. I love it. Um, you do pick up casual work and, and different bits and pieces along the way. How did you go about setting that framework up in your life or did it just happen organically? Oh, no, I think you can just um, – we, we all have an incredible amount of contacts that we come across um, through the years in our work and you just have to – and you would know people always need something done. So you, you just let them know that you're, you're happy to jump in and do something that you may well be overqualified for. But, you know, they need it done, you're available. So it's just a matter of letting them know. And when I got to Scotland, I went down and had a chat to the people at, at the Scotsman, which is their national paper in Edinburgh, told them what we did in Australia and how I did it and said, you know, if you want to set this up here, I could help you set it up. I don't want to do it, but I can help you set it up. So I did some work with them. I went to Aberdeen Tourism and said, this is all the stuff that I did with tourism Queensland in Australia how about you should start to think about it and you just meet people and along the way you may not do that for them but they might say to you I need this done can you do it so I, I think if you have certain knowledge people appreciate being able to tap into it and you've got to not think of yourself as the old bloke sitting in the corner you, you still have something to offer. It's just you don't want to offer it for 40 hours a week. And you've got to get out there and offer it to a few Oh, yeah. So, you, got... I mean, you would have gone to the local pub and said, hey, I know how to play. Yeah. Know, and... Well, it was <laughs> that was really interesting because I, I just rang the, the guy who owned it and said, um, can I come down and talk to you about playing some music? And I got down there. He got out his book and he just said, okay, can you play on Sunday? And I'm like, do you not want to hear me? <laughs> he said, well, you would No, he actually just looked at me and said, well, you wouldn't have come here if you can't sing. Right. You know? And I said, okay. So I played on, I played on that Sunday and, you know, 
it, it went from there. And after that first gig, he said, can you play every second Sunday? And then what I did was I ended up going and playing in, um, in nursing home retirement villages. You know, you'd get 100 quid just to play for half an hour to, to 20 or 30 people who lived in a retirement village. And, and it was the most amazing thing in that these people were sitting in chairs, unable to communicate. But when you started to sing, they knew the words to every song and they sung them. And it was like the first time I did it, I was in tears because I, it was just amazing to see how much they appreciated it. So, yeah. I wish everybody who could play music could go down the street to their local aged care home and offer that. I, I really oh, yeah. It is something everybody gets joy out of, the person, the musician and the the residents in the... The yeah, it was, it was, it was, Beck, I gotta say, it was one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Although, also, like, at the end of the first one, um, this lady said to me, walked up to me, said, Are you gonna come back? And I said, Well, I'll come back if they want me to come back. And then two minutes later, she came back again. She said, Are you gonna come back? I said, I'll come back. And then she kept coming back saying the same thing. So I was like, oh, God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a different, it's a different audience. But, it uh, is a different audience, but they yeah. get so much more joy potentially uh, than the person with their phone talking over you in a pub. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and yeah, they would put, um, they would at the end of it, you know, because I'd, I'd, you'd sing traditional Scottish songs to them and they'd go, that's not how you say those words. <laughs> so the Australian accent didn't quite cut through, but anyway, oh, it was good that fun. Is fantastic. Let's jump and back like, to Scotland. You used it as a base to travel around as well. Like you lived in a house, you rented the house, you know, you had a real home base uh, and you were there for a while. Right? And, and I do want to hear the ending of the story as well because it, it is interesting. Uh, I mean, nobody will have a pandemic again, but the, um, the hopefully, hopefully touch wood yeah. uh, as a travel industry we can't cope but uh but in all reality it wasn't just scotland you saw while you were there tell us about yours and ali's adventures no so look we um we headed off to germany we headed off to norway ali and her mum went on a um spiritual trip to egypt you know and the difference is mm. egypt's only four hours away you know by plane so Rather than that big destinational journey, they they went and uh, looked at the pyramids and and did a lot of spiritual things. We toured around um, uh, England, drove around England, took about two months and just a week at a time in Oxford, Cambridgeshire, down in Padstow, and and just all those places that you know of. And and I'd done my ancestry dot com, and my family was from. Oxfordshire originally so we went to the town that my, the original crisps came from and looked at the gravestones and stuff like that and just got a sense of you know who we were found a couple with the name same last name on it so that that was quite cool and in Scotland we traveled around Scotland to you know as much as we could and you know a lot of Sundays we'd go up to um up to the Highlands and go to crappy um, Kirk, which is the church, and we'd watch the Queen and the, the royal family go to church on a Sunday morning and there'd be hundreds of people standing on the side of the road waving and every morning, you know, every Sunday, they'd all drive down one after the other and go to church. And um, I, if, if you asked, I'm probably a Republican, but it, it was lovely. You know, it, it's really, really nice. You know? And you, know, you, get, you get to learn, like, 
you know, Charles has a restaurant in Ballata, you know, that he that he bought and owned when the town was flooded. Um, and he bought it to try and reinvigorate the town. Prince they Charles. do in- Prince yeah, Charles. they they wow. do incre- they do incredible things in the community that we never read about because we're always reading about you know Buddy Harry and and Meghan. But you're yeah. reading the Daily Mail too much, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Probably, but you know, uh, but yeah, but you you read all that negative stuff that that we read, but. That they actually do amazing good in their own country, which is fantastic. Which I probably wouldn't have known if I hadn't hadn't lived there. Look, I am very grateful to have heard your your story of the travelling to Scotland because it is something I dream of doing. So um, I'm really pleased. Now, to finish off today, I'm I'm gradually moving us into these fun five uh, questions that uh, put you on your feet and and. Make you answer them quickly off the top of your head. So this okay. is called our fast five. Um, what would you like to tell yourself, your twenty-one-year-old self? I think as a twenty-one-year-old, um, I was desperate to get married. I was. Um, uh, I, it was just everything was a rush. You know, desperate to have a house, desperate to. You know, so I bought my first house when I was 21. I got married when I was 21. Um, I think I would have told myself that, you know, it's it's okay to wait and be patient and um, and not that there was anything wrong because it ended up in, you know, three beautiful daughters. But um, it, I, I, I think people these days do it differently in that they they take much more time before they make those big decisions. My generation... We, we were just rushing to be old. <laughs> and now nobody wants to be. Now nobody wants to. And I think, that, I think that's how I think it that's wrong out. too. I think I, that's wrong though. I think people, people are starting to look at the phase of healthy retirement yeah. with, quite, with quite great amazement. Absolutely. Now you can be, I still, I, I feel like a naughty kid now when I, you know, have one too many beers you after golf. <laughs> You're always breaking the rules. Oh, they're made to be broken. <laughs> uh, what's the number one lesson you learned the hard way? Um, look, I think I, I think the number one lesson I made I learned was from my cousin when I first started working, Peter Sharp. He um, he was a journo. He got me my job, and he sat me down and he said, um, "Always say yes to everything." Because people will never ask you to do something if they don't really need you to do it. Um, and I think that was a hard lesson because you ended up doing a lot of, you know, a lot of the shit jobs along the way. But I think if you do them, people always feel obliged to do something back good for you. So, mm-hmm. you know, anything anybody asks, and I still do it, like if if anybody asks anything, unless it's unless it's dangerous, I'll say yes, just to, just because that, that was conditioned into me as an 18 year old. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I love it. What do you do that you really love doing that no matter what you'll fit into your week? Oh, I think, I, you know, for me, it's, um, it's playing the guitar. You know, I, I love, um, I love finding that moment of sitting down and working out if you can play something, if you can sing something, understanding where the song came from, what the person was thinking when they wrote it. So understanding people through their stories in in song is is really important. Like 
I found out the other day that um, when Boy George bought Karma Chameleon to um, to the Culture Club, he said, I've written this song and played it to them. They said, oh, mate, it sounds like a country song. We're not going to do that. And then when you listen to it, it is a country song. So you know, I'm introducing it into our set tonight with a bit of a country twang. Where are you playing? Where are you playing? <laughs> Aspley Football Club tonight. But yeah, I just love hearing those stories and I think the connection through music is great for me. Yeah. Um, The biggest tip for people approaching retirement, what should they do no matter what? Um, I think think it's about clearing your own headspace and and working out what it is you want to do. Uh, You you can't – you can't leave it to chance. You, you shouldn't retire because the age says you should retire. You you need to retire when your mind is telling you that you want to go and do something else. And I think I think that's the key. You know, if you're ready at 45, you're ready at 45. You know, you, you look at um, tennis players and that who retire at 30 and stuff like that. They have great lives cricketers who make a lot of money and retire they have great lives they just have to do other things and i think when you can't do what you love anymore or or whatever you've got to find something else so i think i think it's about getting your mind in shape really good advice uh and what does having an epic retirement mean to you uh look i i think it means um being able to hop on a plane and go and see things that you haven't seen before um, I, I love learning about other people's cultures. Um, I love, whenever I traveled, I used to go and see, visit the local shaman or the local spiritual man to find out about the essence of a place. Like I sat, I sat in a, I sat in a park in Macau one time with this, uh, guy, Chinaman who would have been a hundred years old, had hair going everywhere on his face. And he read you, he, he told your, he predicted your life story based on the time you were born and stuff like that through an interpreter. And I just think sitting, being open to that kind of thing is, you know, is, is fascinating. He said to me, if I make it past 59, I'll get to 69. If I make it past 69, I'll get to 79. He said, the nines, the nines are the problem for you. So, I'm I'm pretty good now for the next seven or eight years, but you know, sixty nine I'll be worried about. Oh goodness, I'd hate to have that on my back. <laughs> well, well, nobody in Macau in this particular area gets married without asking him what date and what time. That's how much they believe, and I think that's the thing. It's so different to what we believe. Yeah. I think you just go out there and and see what makes other places tick and what makes other people. The more you can understand about other people, the more you'll, you'll realise what it is that makes you tick, I think. That is one of the critical elements to an epic retirement, and I, I write about it in the book. It's called curiosity. Yep. Yeah. Constant curiosity. Um, yeah, and, and that, that's it. Once you stop asking questions, I think that's when um, if you stop asking questions, stop trying new things, that's when a routine comes and a routine is not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, there you go. Brian Crisp, you are living an epic retirement and I'm very pleased to have been able to speak with you today. Thank you for sharing your stories. I'm oh, sure thanks for having me, Beck. again. <laughs> Lovely to chat, Beck. <laughs> Enjoy that gig tonight. I will do indeed.
Thank you. You've been listening to Retirement Diaries, a new podcast and YouTube series where I tell real stories about the ingredients of an epic retirement. These are true stories from people living it. Sign up for our newsletter at epicretirement.net and be sure to follow us wherever you get your pods.